Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can get in queue by calling 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty with your questions, comments, or concerns. Thanks for having me on your show and give a call and we can talk about plant selection, the ups and downs related to your annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, and water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, or opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but offered as an option to consider. Brian Crock is here today doing the producing, so when you call, he will ask you your name and where you're calling from, and that's all you have to do. And then as I just take him in order, so whoever calls first gets to uh, talk first. But uh, we can discuss it. Let's do that. How about having me over to your home and do what I call a walk and talk? I'll share 40-plus years' experience with uh, the outdoors Started initially when I came back from California after finishing school, worked at the Botanical Garden, then a garden center, then pre- or co-founded a predatory insect store, then all kinds of stuff since then. So when we do the walk and talk, uh, you'll have a list of things that are concerns of yours, and then also I will keep my eyes, ears, or nose, whatever, open for things that may be impacting your landscape that you didn't even consider. Now, a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting. Today's tip of the trial, St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Today's tip of the trial goes out to all the people that coordinated this Coleman Race for the Cure. I mean, it is uh, it's a huge event. All kinds of people were downtown and everything else. It must be over because one of our windows, we don't see exactly right down on the side where it was. But I don't see hardly anybody, so they must have gotten here. They started at like 7 o'clock, and then, uh, you know, right now it looks like most of the things are over except for maybe the races. So that was a huge effort, and it was Mindy Hyde who was the, the chairperson of it. And um, so, man, it's unbelievable how they, you know, how these things are put together. So that the tip of the trial goes out to all the coordinators and all the people that did the efforts. You know, whether they're professionals or anything else. I mean, even the Johnny on the spots being on, on, on the spots, those kind of things are very important. The bottles of water being brought in, tractor trailers full. So when people finished doing whatever they were doing, there was going to be plenty of drinking water for them. And then all the people with, the, you know, all the people that were really responsible for underwriting the cost of it. So that is who the tip of the trial goes out today. So if you do have any questions, give us a call, 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Let's take one call before we go to break. Let's go to Jenny, and Jenny is from Oakville. Hi, Jenny. Hi. Um, I was. I have a large ash tree in my backyard, mm-hmm. and I 
think it has aphids. They're on the bottom of the leaves, and they curl up, and then all these white things keep falling down and into the swimming pool. Mm. Is there any way of getting rid of these? Uh, if it's over your swimming pool, you probably don't want somebody coming in and spraying, I would assume. No. Nope. Nope. Now, what what there is, there is a possibility. Have a tree service come out, and there's an injector that they can actually, they're like little kind of, eh, I don't want, they look like a thimble sort of with a, you know, with a, a needle in them. And they can put those into the trunk of the tree, and then as the sap goes up and down, it takes that chemical that's in there and moves it up to the top of the tree and takes care of them, you know, takes care of the insect problem that way. So that way there's no spray or anything else. It all stays in the interior, internal part of the tree. So you might give that an option. Okay. And is that permanent or will they be back next year? No, no, no. That's uh, one year. (laughs) There is nothing permanent in the outdoors except Uh if a plant's dead, it's probably pretty dead. But beyond that, that's pretty much it. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. And, uh, you know, you could have... If you know, just make sure you know have somebody come out, or if you if you see these insects, have them you know go to your favorite garden center and find out exactly what they are too. That might be a little bit uh, inf- you know help you with the information. So when a tree service does come out, so make sure they are aphids. Aphids are all kinds of different colors. Aphids usually when they feed, they make the uh, leaf sticky because they have like a proboscis, a nose. They stick into the leaf, and then as they feed. It's like they're getting the sap and everything else, but when they pull their proboscis or nose back out, it leaves a little bit of a dewdrop, and so your leaves that have been impacted by aphids are going to be shiny, and they're going to be sticky both if it is truly aphids. So, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We will be back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks. Questions or concerns or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you're into making or growing herbs and you want the best aroma off the foliage and the best flavor, just remember the herbs, almost all of them, if not 100%, are sun lovers. So they got to have at least six hours of direct sun every day. And fertilizing, don't over-fertilize. So in other words, half the label rate on whatever fertilizer you're using, but only fertilize every six to eight weeks and also allow the soil to become very dry before you water it again. So herbs for the best flavor, best you know, aroma and everything else, underwater and underfeed, that's going to be what's going to work the best for them. So let's go to Bill and Bill's from Shipman, Illinois. Hi, Bill. Yes. Go ahead. Okay, I have a question about asparagus. Uh-huh. I, uh, I planted asparagus last year, and this year it came up fine, and so I didn't cut it. But now I've got the plants, or the wind blows out here so much that, uh, you know, they're blowed over in the rows, and I can't get through there to till it. Uh, when can I cut that asparagus off? Basically, you should wait until the foliage starts turning brownish. Because especially on newly installed, you want to, you know, even though they don't have traditional type, let's say, leaves, still those leaves, those furry looking things that are on there, they are making food for the plant's overall health. So leave them as long as you possibly can. Now, if they're actually bent over and just leaning over, that's fine. But if they're bent and like have a, 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 let's say, a knee to them, so in other words, 
They'll start no, turning just, brown pretty quickly. Just, so anything that starts just, turning brown, then you can do that. You know, you, then you could cut those off. But leave you know, leave the leaves, leave the stems as long as you possibly can. Okay, that's that's kind of what I thought. Thank you. Yep. And, yeah, the asparagus, I mean, they're great fun. And it's going to be probably like three years before you're going to have anything that you should really harvest. You start cutting it off too soon when it first comes up out of the ground, and the root system is going to suffer. And that's what's, you know, asparagus is a perennial, so it's got to have the root system there, viable and tough. So it's going to take a couple years. Let's go now to St. Elmo, Illinois, and that's where Ronnie lives. Hi, Ronnie. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. Hey, I think that that previous caller might have answered part of my questions. It is about asparagus. I planted it three years ago, done everything, buried it deep, uh, put mulch on it. This year is the third year I was going to get a lot of asparagus. Well, I didn't. It comes up just a spurt here, a spurt there, a little bit. We had a little bit cut off, and I figured somehow it got killed. Well, I heard heard some other people talking, and they said, well, you got to water it because we had a dry winter. Well, now I've got, so I did water, now I've got some of the stuff on top, the leaves, the plants coming up three quarters of an inch in diameter on five and six feet tall. Is that going to sap those roots? Should I cut them off now since it's three years old or just let them go? I would say leave them, let them go. Leave them as long as you possibly can. Now, when you said you planted them deep, how, how deep did you actually plant it? Well, uh, like I said, this is the third year. I think they said six to eight inches deep, something like that. Yeah, that might, you know, that seems a little bit deep to me. But uh, whoever you you got the asparagus roots from, they probably you know were garden center or something. So you know, in your circumstance, that might be the way. I would think four inches deep would have been adequate. Okay. I, well, I got them from a catalog online. You know, a catalog. Okay. Because okay. I, I think, think they may be a little bit too deep, and sometimes when things are planted too deep, it could really interfere with their, their productivity, whether it's you know flowering plants, whether it's a shrub or asparagus. So just you know, be conscious of that. And if, if next year you don't get a good production out of them, def, they definitely, you know, the watering in the wintertime is, you know, something to consider. Also, if you didn't put any mulch on them, fertilizing it, I mean, they're just an agricultural crop, so they need to be fertilized as well. All right, sure. I just fall into top stern brad. I cut them off. Should I try scrape, scraping some of the dirt off the top, maybe? Yeah, I would probably think about doing that, at least on part of it. Don't do it to the whole thing. And see what the production is on the area where you reduce the amount of soil surface that's over the uh, over the root systems. All right. Yeah, I'll sure try that, Mike. All right, All right great. great. Thank you. Yep. yep. And now let's go to Joe. And Joe's in Belleville. Hi, Joe. Hi, Mike. How Hi. are you this morning? Very good. How are you? I'm good. Mike, you've helped me become a better gardener over the years, but you didn't have much to start with, but we're getting there. (laughs) (laughs) I have cleaned out large beds under very large and very old trees. We've all driven by places in the botanical garden. We've seen large, mature trees with things like hostas and everything planted around them. Right. These particular trees uh, do not provide shade because of the angle of the sun through the heat of the summer. So everything under the trees, trees are, the two trees, are full sun. Now that I've prepared these beds and set the hardscape and done all the hard work, I'm getting things ready to, start to begin planting in the fall. Before I do, I asked a few people whether or not it's wise to plant plants around trees. Now, these are large beds. They extend out 18 to, as far as 18 to 20 feet from the trunk of the, of the trees. Wow. 
by the way, yeah, it'll work. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the the trees are at least sixty years old, and they're at least sixty to sixty five feet tall. They're really mature trees. Right. Okay. So one guy uh, who has developed his two acres into his own botanical garden, a, a great gardener, said, "Joe, it's not a problem. Put about four feet of mulch outside of the tree." Uh, to give it at least that space, and then go ahead and plant your plants. Then I went to two garden centers and asked the same question, and both immediately said, no, do not plant plants such as um, uh, spireas and and, uh, plants with decent root systems uh, around the tree. And now... (laughs) I have to decide whether to, to take the hardscape out and regrass it or go ahead and plant uh, uh, the bones with perennials around these two trees. So I have decided to leave this decision to you. <laughs> well, anyway, let me say, first of all, you know, having a ring around the tree trunk, like you said, of four feet, that's a good idea because up close to a tree that's that large, it is solid wood underneath there. And anything is just going to have a difficult time. Now, you know, even though there's a lot of sun coming in there, I would say you're probably better off not to put spireas or sun-loving shrubs underneath it because the competition with the existing tree roots is going to make it difficult for something like a shrub to get established. Don't use azaleas. Don't use rhododendrons. Don't use, you know, let's say sweet spire. Nothing at all like that. But I would, you know, take a look at, you know, just doing some ground covers. And then once you get the ground covers established, whether it be periwinkle, whether it be ivy or something along that line, then once that's established, then you could think about maybe putting some perennials in there if you wanted to. But you've got to, you know, it's a tough spot and uh, because these are huge trees. And further out, you there's, I mean, that's where the feeder roots are, and they're going to compete with anything that you, you know, that you try to grow up further and trying to grow grass up, you know, even though there's sun coming up underneath the trees, having successful lawn in there is going to be very difficult at best because it's not so much the sun, it's a competition with the tree wood aspects of the trunk and the root system, and then the competition with the feeder roots as well. With respect to the grass, Mike, um, in, in developing these beds, I've used a lot of uh, compost and garden soil from right. St. Louis Compost. Mm-hmm. And, in, you know, I, I stood there yesterday and looked and looked, and I thought, you know, I can use another four to six inches of this garden soil um, in, in that bed. I, I, don't, I don't know that it would hurt the tree root. Uh, uh, in fact, I think in, in the end it, it would probably help the roots. But if I spread even more of the garden soil in those beds, would that not benefit the introduction or reintroduction of, of grass? Um, it's it, to a certain point it will, but still you got to you know look at the size of the tree. Those are big brutes, and they don't yeah. really like to share anything at all. So you got to understand that's you know that's the case or that's the situation. Well, I thought it'd be a terrible waste of money. Yeah, uh, if, um, if if that indeed is the case, and it. It sounds like it's a high risk. Very um, much so. Yeah. I, w- I would say go with traditional ground covers, and ultimately, once the ground cover is established, then you can think about adding a few perennial-type things, even like palace purple coral bells and things along that line, or Japanese painted fern. But get something established in there first that's the toughest thing that can handle that kind of situation. 
nuts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you don't have to do ivy if you want to do periwinkle, get the blue flowers in the springtime, something along that line. Or you could try a couple different ones, you know, get a flat of a couple different things and decide which ones are going to do the best. Even try, you know, some of the sedums, like sedum acre, the gold moss, and see how that's going to do. Well, I, I mentioned sedums to um, Autumn Joy is, is one of my favorites, but I mentioned sedums to uh, the people at the uh, uh, garden centers, and they just shook their head no. And uh, But you're saying, regardless, do it after ground cover becomes established. Right, or yes, exactly, because that way you're going to know if there's any possibility, because they're going to be the toughest thing that can survive in a circumstance like that. Okay. I don't know if I have enough years left in life to see this all develop. <laughs> well, another thing is to get a pair of rose-colored glasses, and every time you look out at this area, you'll have your rose-colored glasses because, I mean, it's a very tough situation. And understand that you can go to the Botanical Garden, you can go to all these places, which is wonderful, but they've had failures over the years. When I sure. went to the Botanical Garden in 77, that's when I started in the English Woodland Garden, they had 13 varieties or 11 varieties of azaleas and rhododendrons. Only two or three of them survived. So even in that situation with somebody there working all the time, irrigation systems and everything else, I mean, there's just too much competition with the tree roots. Well, we, we, we don't want to hurt those trees. Exactly. I, I... They're that old, and I don't know how much time they have left. They, right. They're vertical, vertical growers. They don't extend a canopy. Um, there's some there's a lot of weird trees here in Illinois. <laughs> but uh, the, um, well, I don't want to take up anyone else's time. I really thank you, Mike, for your advice on this. And, and uh, um, like I say, nuts. But that's gardening. You just start all over again. Exactly. There's no way around it, especially in this region. So good luck with that. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. If Murphy's Bureau uh, is where Gene lives. Gene, how are you today? Good morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, thank, thank you for the best two hours ever, ever Saturday morning. It's just fantastic. <laughs> uh, here's my question. I uh, went to the box stores and saw all these beautiful Asiatic lilies. Right. And I, I must have purchased 15 to 20 of them, all different Whoa. colors. I've never had a lily garden in my life, but I've planted them, and they're doing well. Right. And, and they're, they're beautiful. But I don't know what to expect. I don't know how to take care of them. Any tips you have? Basically, you know, treat them, you know, like a perennial. So, in other words, you want to fertilize them about half the label rate. Then around uh, the foliage, the flowers, have the flowers started to drop yet, the petals? Some have, and some are just starting to bloom. Yes. What you need to do is whenever, you know, they finish flowering, they drop the petals or started to drop the petals, cut the flowers off, but leave the foliage. And it's going to take them a couple years, and then they're going to colonize. And you're going to end up with a lot of them. So they're really kind of cool. I like them a lot myself. I have about four or five different varieties. And I just bought them as, you know, single plants, more or less, when we first moved to the house, and that was 10 years ago. And some of the clumps are really huge. Some of them are not quite as big as other ones. And uh, they really prefer, you know, a sunny location versus a location. They can take part shade. But if the part shade is from related to tree and tree roots, then that could be somewhat of a problem. 
Mm-hmm. No, that, they got plenty of sun. Great. Uh, so I really don't need to plan any more then, do I? No, I mean, just be. All you have to do is be patient. And next year, if you have a, or this year, if you have a single stem coming up next year, expect about three stems to come up. And then the next year, double that and double that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's they're incredible. Oh, they and the colors, unbelievable! Oh, I know, I mean, just so many different colors. Absolutely, they're—I mean—they're striking. Thank you very much, sir. Certainly. Enjoy the Saturday morning. You do the very same thing, and again, fertilize them because that will really help them just overall. But half okay. label rate. And now let's go okay. to Florissant, and that's where Don lives. Don, how are you? Thank you for. Thank you for taking. Yeah, you got to turn your radio down. Pretty good, Mike. Can you hear me? Yes. Good. Uh, my question. Pretty good, Mike. Can you hear me? Yes. You got to turn your radio down. Yeah, it's down. It's down. Because I can hear myself. <laughs> oh. Uh, uh, my question is uh, these uh, clovers uh, with the white balls on. Right. Uh, do, uh, is it best to pull them up? I mean, is there something that you can put on it to uh, to kill them and, and it don't affect the affect the grass? Yeah, it's a, because clover is a broadleaf weed. You can put a, like a weed be gone on it, but clover is very very difficult to kill. So you're just gonna have to stay on it, stay on it, stay on it, and it's gonna probably. I don't know how much you have, but it's gonna take several years to probably get it under control. Don't bother trying to pull it up or anything else. So just go and get it like a weed be gone type weed killer, and that won't affect your lawn. But just realize, too, read the label and make sure that maybe it says, you know, when the temperature gets above 90 degrees, don't put this down because you could do some damage to other things besides the things you're trying to kill. Because my neighbor has a, a lawn full of them. Does does sea blow from, from the air? When they, uh... Yeah, I can because you can buy, this is probably a Dutch white clover. You can actually buy the seed because some people like it because it captures nitrogen out of the air and helps you know enrich the soil and things like that. It can blow, but for the most part, they are invasive from the standpoint they send out underground root systems, and then you get new plants that way. The mother plant wow. stays where it is, and then it just sends out you know arms that you know new plants pop, off, uh, pop up from the root system. Oh, boy, that's a lot of work, I see. <laughs> yeah, they got them long roots to them, too. You aren't kidding, to yes. <laughs> I see. Uh, on the lilies, is it hard to find the the uh, orange lilies compared to you see so many of the yellow ones, you know? It's probably earlier in the season. If we're talking daylilies or if we're yeah, talking— Yeah, daylilies. Yeah. Most of the garden centers should have you know plenty of orange ones. The problem is the orange ones are considered kind of common— so they figure the garden centers think, well, nobody wants those common ones. They want something a little bit different, like you're saying, the yellow one. But the garden center should have them. There shouldn't be a problem with that at all. Uh, and they grow just as well as the, as the yellow ones. Called. Oh, absolutely, yes, very much so. I see. It look like they grow taller in height. Yeah, some of them are, you know, it depends upon the variety because just because they're the same one color, there could be six different, let's say, hybrids. It's kind of like me having, you know, a sister and then two other brothers. So even though we're related to each other, we all end up different heights and different sizes and everything else. I see. Okay, then, Mike. 
That's the answer my question about this global boy. It's a job. <laughs> yeah, it is going to be a job for sure. Yes, sir. Good All luck right, with that. All right, and thank you for taking my call. Yeah, this thanks, morning. Don. And now let's go. Well, we better take a break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, as I look out the window, I still see some people with their pink shirts uh, leaving the Coleman Race for the Cure. And it wasn't all just races. It was all kinds of just people getting together. It was an absolutely fantastic event. And there goes another group by, of, as I see, they're on the other side of the Soldier's Memorial, and they cut across in front of the windows so I can see. But anyway... It was about 10 minutes left of the show today, and then at 10 o'clock, Investing Sense with Adam Bold. 11 o'clock brings the Helitech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show with Scott Mosby. And 1220, the St. Louis Cardinals pregame show with Alex Ferraro. So all kinds of stuff coming up, and then plenty of stuff after that as well. To the phones we go. Let's go to John, and John lives in Illinois. Hi, John. Yeah, Mike, I've got about a 30-year-old dogwood tree. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always been healthy the last couple of years. The leaves aren't fully developed, smaller, and it still blooms, but the blooms are also stunted. Uh, at the same time, I always, uh, I've always i got some pine trees nearby, and I rake the needles under the tree. I've got it almost out to the drip line, probably a foot thick at the base of the tree. Is there a correlation there, or am I just dealing with an old dogwood tree? Well, you're probably a combination of both. You shouldn't pile stuff up on the trunk. But pull the pine needles away. That was fine because they're acidic. That's great. But just see, you know, make sure that the trunk, you know, the bark on the trunk is, you know, still feels firm, still looks good. Because sometimes piling up mulch of any kind creates too much moisture and it can sort of like cause the, let's say, the bark to degrade. But a 30-year-old tree, they should live longer than that. But in, you know, individual situation, it's just like, you know, some people have a pet that, you know, a dog that lives for 17 years. Some people have the same dog, let's say, that lives only for nine years for whatever reason. So it may be a combination of various things. But pull the, bar, you know, pull the pine needles away from the trunk. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and just take a look at it. And, uh, yeah, if the, if the size of the, you know, the leaves are going down and the size of the flowers are going down, then that is not a good sign for sure. So good luck with that, John. And now let's go to Vandalia, Illinois, and uh, talk to Deb. Deb, how are you? Fine. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Um, I'm calling to give some hope to the gentleman that was discouraged about the flower beds around his tree. Ah, I, too, was told that I would never be able to grow anything under the cedar tree after I limbed it up. But I tried, and I got great success with hostas, creeping flocks, lamb's ear, campanula, Japanese iris, and daylilies. Wow, that's a wild combination. (laughs) Yeah, but I was just trying different things because people kept telling me that's not going to work, and and I have so many plants out here now that, oh, and I also have a hardy geranium. And I have so many plants out here now, I'm starting to have to remove some. <laughs> Nothing is better than success. <laughs> That's right. But I just wanted to um, give some encouragement to the gentleman that was feeling a little down after right. he put all that work into that. Yeah. Yeah, because, so. I mean, you've got to experiment around because the, the plants that you were able to grow underneath the this, this cedar tree – you know, that's great for your circumstance and everything else, but that's why I said try the ground cover, see if you can get something going there, and then go from that standpoint. Because, I yeah. mean, 
even you know, even though the garden hotline guy thinks he knows everything, he doesn't really. And so each circum, each situation is going to be very different. And having great success with something is, uh, you know, you never know till you try. Right, but the lands here, I think, would be a good start. Oh, really? Um, so yeah, we- it's a. It really takes off underneath those trees. <laughs> <laughs> that's surprising because any usually anything with a gray foliage that's fuzzy like that stuff is really wants a hot, dry, like a rock garden circumstance. But I'm assuming that where this cedar tree is, it's probably pretty rocky soil. Uh, Not so I bad? Wouldn't, no, I no. wouldn't say that it's rocky, no. Uh-uh, no. Oh, great. Yep. So, anyway, I just want to give him some encouragement. Well, great. Thanks. I greatly appreciate it. You're welcome. And hopefully he will, too, because experiment around, and you never know what you're going to have success with. But most of the things that you were growing are sun-loving, and then you put the hosta in there. That's uh, Maybe the you know the other things were providing some shade for the hosta so they don't get sunburned. But thanks, Deb. Yep. And now let's mm-hmm. go to Elaine. Elaine, how are you today? Hello. Hi. Yes. Um, someone gave me a maple tree. It's a baby. It's about six inches tall. She grew it from seed. How do I take care of it? Right now, it's only in a six-inch pot. It's very fragile. Yeah, I would say leave it in the pot. Put it in a, you know, I'm assuming it has at least four, six, you know, five, six sets of leaves on it. It has about five. Okay, so leave it in the pot. Just put it in a, you know, not a super bright, sunny location, but if you have a part shade situation where you can just drop, you know, dig a hole, drop the pot down into the hole, leave about an inch of the top edge of the pot above the surrounding ground, and grow it in the pot for a couple years. Okay. And then, you know, after that time, just pull, you know, pull the pot up. You should start to see, you know, you should, after a couple years, see root systems coming out of the drainage holes in the bottom of the pot, and just decide where you want to put it in your in your landscape. Now, do you know which type of maple it is? I think it's a red. Okay, so that's, I mean, they're pretty tough. They're pretty durable. Um, I was going to say, if it's a silver maple, throw it out into the dumpster. But uh, anyway, if it's a red maple, that sounds perfect. I'm afraid it's so fragile that if it rains real hard, it's going to just, you know, fall down. Uh, but it won't. You okay. know, I mean, this... I mean, I got, you know, I have three uh, sugar maples around our house as street trees, and they drop so many seeds. I got so many, you know, little bitty, you know, maple trees coming up all over the place. But, you know, they're pretty tough and durable. Maybe, you know, just make sure that the, the soil, you know, it's a good potting mix and everything else. But a hard rain, if it bends over a little bit, don't worry too much about it. If you want to put a stake in there, to sort of support it a little bit, don't tie it up with anything. Just put the stake so if it does lean, you know, it will have something to lean on. So don't leave it in the pot. I was thinking about leaving it in the pot until no. winter. No, leave it in the pot for a couple years. Okay, but in the ground. Yeah. They just okay. That way it makes it so you don't have to worry about watering and all that stuff as much. Okay. Hey, great. Thank you. Yep. Good luck Bye. with that. And you know, thanks to everybody for calling in. If anybody does have a, a quick question, we can get one more question in, 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. If not completely understand heat and humidity. Well, that's going to be an accelerant for diseases, viruses, and bacteria, and that can range from anything that's like cosmetic, like uh, powdery mildew, which is like gets on the leaves of flocks and gets on the leaves of lilacs, to things that are just totally devastating. So find out what a disease or what a circumstance is, whether it's foliar whether it's stem-wise or anything else, 
And that way you're going to make the best decision. Go and find out. Don't. It's great to look on the Internet. I love the Internet and everything else. But go to somebody that's working with the stuff on a regular basis and find out what product they recommend for you to use to get this under control. And expect, you know, with all your lawns, especially the cool season lawns, the bluegrasses and fescues, this is summertime, you know, not quite yet, but summer funguses, and that can even occur on the warm season grass like zoysia. So keep your lawn healthy and you know, make sure that it's well watered, water for longer periods of time less often. So I water you know, when it gets this hot, this windy, and this dry with this low humidity right now. I water for like an hour in each area of my lawn twice a week, usually on a Wednesday and a Saturday both. So let the water penetrate deep. Don't water for 15 minutes. That does nothing. It doesn't help the, you know, any kind of plant, really, because the majority of the water is just going to end up evaporating and going up into the air, and it's not going to do anything for the plant root system. So water longer periods of time, less often. So even if your irrigation company is saying basically 15 minutes you know, in the morning and maybe that's all you really need to do. No, you, that's not really going to help your plants. You've got to water for longer periods of time so the water goes deeper so the root systems of your lawn or your perennials or your trees or your shrubs can follow the water down. They're only going to go so deep, yes, so you don't have to worry too much about it. But also, once you water, just go out there with a hand trowel or a fork or something, a spade, and dig down and see how far the water has penetrated into the ground. Because the root system in the summertime is crucial as far as being able to withstand this intense heat and everything else that our summertimes bring to us and bring to the plant material. So, and this is in particular anything that's been installed or planted within the last couple of years. So whether it's sod or anything else. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.